0: Hey folks, and welcome to Growth Triggers. This is a new segment we're piloting on Deconstructor, a fun podcast focusing on all matters growth. Now, Growth Triggers has two hosts, Eric Suford, founder of Mobile Dev Memo and Heracles Media. Eric is a man who served as head of growth at several top gaming companies and by far the most knowledgeable person to talk about growth that I know of. And your second host is myself, Mishka Katkov founder of Deconstructor of Fun and Savage Game Studios. My background is on the product management and studio leadership side of games. Now, why our background is somewhat relevant is because in this segment, we'll tackle the topics from both marketing and product perspective. So as we're developing this segment, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover and what we can do to improve. I hope you enjoy the show and I hope we're able to earn all five stars. Before we start, As always, big thanks to our sponsors. really at jam city we want to treat the players first and foremost we really care about their experiences that comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing so we want to make sure that the performance is there a waterfall management does take a lot of time the big drawback is the back and forth with networks obviously the uh, analysis behind it and not always is the juice worth the squeeze so to speak that was kyle Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, level play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it, mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solutions build built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, increman- with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest that you head out to appsliers.com Hey Eric, how's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Happy New Year. See, this is the weirdest thing. So people say Happy New Year. And I find it really difficult to say because like just during this new year, we have this news train coming in from from London. We got a news stream coming in from South Africa. (laughs) Everybody's on lockdown. And we're like, yeah, Happy New Year. I hope this one is really good. The vaccines are barely (laughs) (laughs) like the only one getting vaccine are the Israelis. Like they're vaccinating
1: like crazy. Oh man, tell me about it. Yeah. Well, I'll just say, uh,
0: hey, hey, new year. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's hope this is a happy one. I just I, I find it I find it kind of like difficult to say happy because I don't, I don't know I, it's gonna be good, but yeah. the start is definitely you know very 2020 ish. Uh, <laughs> I was invited, by the way, to go to an event in Israel later this year. Uh, for the first half, I was like, definitely. Do I get a vaccine if I come? <laughs> yeah. That would you be. You get one at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be the sickest way to do an event. It's like, hey, by the way, everybody who comes gets a vaccine. <laughs> that would be like the longest line ever.
1: <laughs> I mean, to be honest though, like any event in Israel, just sign me up. Like I I would go to like the lowest grade like ad tech conference in, <laughs> in Tel Aviv just just as an excuse to get there. If it came with a vaccine, that's just icing on the cake.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the the moment I think it's this one is going to be in April. There's going to be more information, so we're actually doing something with Iron Source, and um, by the time, like by the time it's April, you can go and lick people's faces because everybody has been vaccinated. <laughs> <That'd> be <laughs> so right. it'll, be, it'll be kind of weird coming in, like yeah, everything is cool. Just go into a restaurant, just do whatever, hug everybody, you know, dance, whatever you want to do. Let's <laughs> just, you know, freak party. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Oh, rule well, good. Invite incoming. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about 2021 predictions and, um, you actually posted two, two, two post series on mobile dev memo. Uh, and basically, you know, Apple deprecating IDFA, which means that people don't know where the users are coming from and then introducing the app tracking transparency, which asks, asks people to use permission to track. And this kind of kicks off this crazy chain of events that will come into fruition in 2021. So I wanted to kind of start this discussion with you is talking about the prediction, but let's talk about first about the misinformation and what are the sort of like the biggest sources of, not sources, but what are the biggest misinformations and um, or slash wishful thoughts that are influencing the prediction for 2021 for marketing?
1: Um, I would say that there's,
0: <clears throat> there's two right
1: um there's more than two but there's two kind of major ones like there's two there's two major strains uh there's (laughs) there's the uk strain and the south africa strain (laughs) of of uh misinfo um it so the first one relates to um opt-in rates right so i think there's a lot of there there's a there's a a desire to believe that the opt-in rate on the att prompt will be meaningful right it'll be high enough that it reduces, um, you know, the sort of IDFA identifiable user base and the sort of trackable user base. Um, by the way, I don't like I don't like using the term tracking here. I think tracking is loaded. I think um, Apple uses that uses that word very deliberately, and it's it's kind of, um, you know, it's it, it's caught on. Um, but that's a lo- that's a loaded word that I think d- does a disservice to the actual use case for the IDFA, which is as personalization. Right. And, and that sounds a lot better. Right. Like everyone wants their ads to be personalized. No one wants irrelevant ads. Um, and 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 the reality is like the IDFA doesn't really facilitate tracking like per se. Right. Like what is tracking? Tracking makes it seem like there's some creep behind me. Right. I'm walking down the street and some guy behind me and he's following me and he's tracking, tracking where I'm going. He's writing it down in a notebook. Right. The IDFA um, just kind of facilitates like event aggregation across across apps. Yes. But, um, you know, you can reset it. Right, it, it it and it's 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 depersonalized. Like, I mean, there's there's nothing there that is attributable to like Eric as an individual who lives in Austin, Texas, and you know has a kid, right? Uh, and you know drives a silver car. It's it's just like that 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 word it was used to kind of scare people, um, and I think Apple did a really good job of of allowing that to kind of permeate the discussion rather than talking about what IDFA actually allows for, which is just ads personalization. But anyway, that's a different rant. Mm. Um, so the idea being that, you know, these opt-in rates won't be that bad, right? They'll be 70%, 80%. Don't worry about it. Um, and it's just not credible, right? Like we're seeing opt-in rates in the 10 to 50% range for people that have, have trialed this. It's they're low, right? They're so low that it, it just doesn't matter who opts it. Well, there's, there's kind of two, two sides to that. It, they're so low that like the, just the numbers of people that opt in aren't aren't uh, substantial enough to do anything with. And second, like there's a really weird bias in the people that do opt in. That, that data is just not useful. It's it's going to skew to some, you know, particular uh, you know, trait and then you won't be able to use that to kind of model out the rest of the user base. And so I think a lot of companies are kind of pushing this idea that no, 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 no ATT opt-in rates are going to be high enough that, you know, you can basically maintain the status quo. Everything's going to be fine. There's going to be some other stuff that you're going to just you know, you're going to lose some signal and you're going to lose some kind of insight, but we'll be able to model that because the, the percentage of people that opt in, it's going to be high enough that we'll get like a good sort of baseline. And I just, I just don't think that's credible. And I think that it's, it'd be nice if that were true, because you could just kind of keep doing everything that you're doing now, but
0: I don't think it's true. Got it. So, so two things, basically the, uh, the, the, the amount of people to opt in is going to be as low as predicted and not as high as some some sources are saying and the second thing like modeling off of that will be impossible
1: well no those, so that's all that's all that's just the first, same got it that's the first uh uh misinfo strain that's the uk strain
0: that's the uk strain
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's the light one tell me yeah, about the
1: south africa that's the worst one. oh man yeah the really the really vicious one is the um this idea that you know you don't really need the idea of a uh to do identity right like that you or that there's a there's a pretty simple hack to get around having the IDFA being blocked um and that's fingerprinting or that's um you know using the IP address in a clever way and that so basically that yeah yeah, you lose access to the IDFA which is like the most kind of deterministic identifier it's the most like one-to-one you know, exact identifier, but there's other things that you can do to sort of like profile the device mm-hmm. to know who that, to know who's, who, who that person is. And that is just not credible. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> Apple has said straight up, we're not gonna allow fingerprinting and they can block you. I mean, they can block, the, Apple can see what your what data your app is, is, is sending off device, right, in, in review. So like when you submit your app for review, Apple sees all that stuff and they're gonna say, look, you're, you're accessing this, this data for no kind of obvious reason, it must be for fingerprinting. We're gonna we're gonna block.
0: What data. is fingerprinting?
1: Um, fingerprinting is kind of a catch-all term. Basically, it's just uh, taking a snapshot of a bunch of um, device kind of metadata got values. It, got, it, got it. Right, and so there's a couple that there's a couple that are useful, and most of them aren't really useful, and most of them don't really even exist right now in bid requests, like in in the sort of ad auction. But there are there are potentially you know more pieces of data you could layer in that would be sort of identifiable when you group them all together the problem with fingerprinting is like the 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 the, quote, the main um device characteristics they're just so broad that you w- they're not really that helpful like you know device model right like ip address yes um os version right and so like if, if i'm in an office and everyone's in the same wi-fi you know back when i worked in an office years ago uh <laughs> a what uh, <laughs> but like everyone's on the same wi-fi most people have the latest iphone right and have updated their ios so it's like uh, there's there's no identity there everyone just looks like a big block right Mm -hmm. um anyway so i've heard a lot of that like oh no no no, we're gonna be able to use ip address ip like and i've heard this idea that like i'll see if i remember it correctly because it was a while ago that i heard it but like basically the ip address if you pull it like every couple of seconds um that you'd be able to sort of parse out different people in different apps, even if they had the same IP address. Hmm. Um, And then you'd be able to kind of group that as a, as a single identity. Um, And I just just don't think that's credible. I don't think and that would be just basically IP address alone. Um, I, I just don't think that's credible. I don't think, and Apple said very specifically, explicitly, we're not going to allow fingerprinting. So I think there's, there's a lot of companies that are saying, no, no, no we'll be able to get around IDFA. We'll be able to sort of profile devices mm-hmm. um, and it'll be fine. Like it won't be as exact as IDFA, but it'll be like 90%. Um, and we'll still be able to do everything that we're able to do with IDFA and nothing's going to change. Right. And like, that's just, that's just kind of, it's, it's just uh, totally, totally uh, false. Right. Like, I mean, there's just, there's no way that actually is a path forward. Like the Apple goes to, cause it's just, it doesn't pass a smell test. Apple's going to go to all this effort and then they're going to let you use some hack to get around it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, two pretty big things. So uh, opt-in rates are gonna be low for sure and there's no no way around it. And the second one is that there's no fingerprinting. So no no hacks around IDFA. It is what it is and you won't see anything behind it. So w- regarding IDFA, like do you see the device? Like when, when IDFA has been deprecated, do I see that somebody's playing with iPhone 12 or 11? Is that visible?
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay. that that that's all visible. That's but great. that's just not super helpful.
0: Well, mm, yeah, for not.
1: for 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 advertising targeting.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, but at least some information. Like sometimes we just break down some cohorts based on it, and we make a lot of decisions, especially in early development, on the uh, the lowest device. Uh, right. So that's that's important because you can kind of. Oh, well, no, wait a minute. Can you see payers based on the device?
1: Uh, yeah, you'd have all that data. I mean, you have okay. all that data internally. Right, yeah. so you could you could still do like, hey, I'm gonna t- I'm a- I only want to target people that are on an iPhone 12. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's you could do that. But you're then you're grouping all those people together,
0: yes. right, as a big yeah. group. It's it's just decision making in early development when you're thinking about what is your lowest device at launch, and yeah. if you're able to to at least see where the payers are coming from because sometimes just majority of the player payers are coming from the uh, the latest device, and then right. it's easier to kind of. Uh, leave the rest out in the beginning, so that you're not wasting a lot of technical resources to to make your game playable on the low end devices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bu- so
1: the bummer about the IDFA stuff is that like it, everyone started kind of th- this became like the dominating uh, topic in mm-hmm. mobile, like in June, right at WWDC. But there have been a lot of people talking about it before that, right, and then. Uh, and, and then now, you know, people have been talking about it sort of like ad nauseum, right, since June. So that's six, mm-hmm. six solid months. And, and you know, it got delayed. And now the sort of, you know, the, the best guess at the at the sort of launch date is March. Like, this is going to be nearly a year of talking about this. And mm. no one really knows what it ends up looking like, right? Um, because Apple is just so secretive, right? Like, they're just so cryptic about everything. Oh, no, we're not going to tell you. We're not going to tell you exactly what it's going to... and and you're just gonna have to wait and see and like we're not going to give you any guidance and so like everyone is just like that's what allowed all this misinfo to spread but everyone else is just creating so much more anxiety than there needs to be like if there were if there was clear guidance on this from day one you know people could have been at least preparing for the you know the sort of like the, the the precise reality now it's like everyone's trying to like guess as to like okay well i've got here's my base case and then here's contingency one and here's contingency two if this is allowed and and so like not only did it allow a lot of these ad tech companies to spread this bs but it just makes people so anxious no one knows what to expect no one even knows what the date's gonna be i mean like that's that this is a giant economy like the app economy is a giant it's not just now now we found out it's not just the app economy it's mm-hmm. anyone that's advertising in apps for websites too is affected by this it's just like a giant it's like the gdp of a mid-sized european country yeah. at risk and, and there's just no information
0: yeah yeah and, and especially especially since, since in a way they're a partner because you have content creators and they're the platform holders uh but they're kind of you know just behaving like Like they own everything and it doesn't matter who's the content creator. So there's no discussion, no, no partnership, no, no, that type of stuff, Uh, which is again, um, yeah, it just doesn't feel like a partnership. It feels like, you know, they're letting you to put their stuff in their store and they own the store and they don't have to tell you how they're going to, you know, reshuffle things, which is true. That's what they do. They do own it, but not even trying to behave like a partner is, is, uh, is, is, is a weird message.
1: Yeah, I mean it's just kind of a slap in the face to, to yeah. these to these to the developers that have have ge- have generated you know, billions of
0: dollars for Apple. Exactly, right? exactly. But um, uh, so so you talked about the chain of events in the post IDFA and ATT. What do you mean by that? Like, what is what what are the chain of events that are going to happen?
1: What when did I? What do what do you mean by the chain of events?
0: So so you're saying that uh, you know as Apple deprecates the IDFA and introduces the APP. That kicks off a chain of events that will that will uh, initiate in 2021. So what, what is, can you kind of like underline that, that chain of events after the IDFA deprecates? Or has it already started? Like, I believe the M&A and all that, those elements are the chain of events that are happening through the IDFA deprecation.
1: Yeah. So there, I mean, I think there's like, there's this, there, you know, in, in the conversation that a lot of people are having now, it's like, well, there's like this sort of, you know, initial rollout and then there's the reaction to that. And then the sort of like Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the new equilibrium. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, you, you get the initial rollout. I, I, my sense is it's going to be brutal. And I think that the only time, you know, every, every single time my prior has been updated here, it's gotten worse, right? Like just the understanding of of how aggressively Apple um, is going to sort of prosecute this. It just gets worse and worse over time. Um, and you know a great example of that is is the the sort of revelation that this does affect web to app, or, or sorry, app to web traffic, mm-hmm. uh, app to web campaigns now, right? That was a big revelation. Facebook had not indicated that whatsoever, and then all of a sudden, wow! Like this whole sector, which is ecom D 2 C, that is now having to sort of abide by this these privacy guidelines too, which 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 you know Facebook had not even hinted at. Um, that's a massive that's a massive <laughs> new piece of information. So it, it, so anyway, I think. Th- th- my, my sort of base case here is this is going to be like pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put, I put this in the prediction post. I think it's going to have a, a tremendous, uh, I think it's going to put pr- tremendous negative downward pressure on uh, CPMs. Like in that first quarter, or the first quarter of launch, the so second quarter of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think people are just going to pull back. They're going to just wait and see. People are just going to cut their budgets and say, let's just, let's just see what happens.
0: Right. Well, but, but on the other hand, I've heard a lot of well not, heard but also kind of like theoretically thought about like let's say I'm I'm I have a puzzle game let's say I'm working at King and I'm used to advertise at certain channels let's say word games certain word games that I just know bring steady excellent traffic to my game and I know that other puzzle um, games (laughs) are also advertising in those games because we all know that that's the target audience I mean uh, word games like 90% female 90% 90% in English-speaking countries, 90% who are exactly the same the, uh, the same um, age group of whatever it was, like 25 to the 55. So I know that that's a good source of traffic, no matter what. I can purchase traffic from those games with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't the CPMs for those channels kind of increase because everybody knows that they are the sort of a quote-unquote safe channels? Um, yeah,
1: they, they could, but like, it's uh, so that this, there was, I think it would still decrease initially. Right. I think there's going to be like a sort of across the board pullback in ad spend. Um, now, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of cases where, okay, we're basically fine with just purely contextual targeting. Um, and, and those, those, that's not really impacted like purely contextual targeting. It's just me advertising in this app that I know Mm -hmm. performs well that's fine. But like, there's always competition there from, you know, sort of device graph IDFA hunting. Right. So it's not like, it's not like there's, there's these, you know, channels that just purely do can, no channel just purely contextual. Right. So there, there's going to be, there's some, you know, sort of like upward up, there's some uplift on CPM across the board, just from people knowing, you know, specific users are monetizers and and bidding against them and driving CPMs up. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think even, even on those channels, the CPMs are going to drop now that drop, now people are saying, well, yeah, when that drop happens, I'm a contextual advertiser. I mostly advertise contextually. I run a, a very broadly appealing uh, word game or whatever, uh, a casual game. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna take advantage of that CPM drop and I'm just gonna ramp up my spend. And and that's true, but I think the question is, um, how, how does that, ultimately how, ultimately, how does that efficiency change, right? Because, you know, Facebook is a tremendous uh, portion of, of most sort of scaled app advertisers budgets. Google's a tremendous proportion. So those, you know, for, for most app advertisers that I have worked with, or just even like kind of speak with those two channels, you know, make up about 60 to 70%, I would say on average of ad spend. So like those channels are gonna lose a lot of efficiency, right? Now, um, and, and so yeah, the CPMs drop and so that makes it cheaper. And if, and if you don't actually need this hardcore sort of like whale hunting, um, you know, data set, right? That, that these, these platforms allow for, maybe you can take advantage of that. So there's like that kind of that there's that kind of um, catalyst and then the reaction and the normalization of like, well, okay, CPM's dropped. Now a bunch of people flood back in because CPM is cheap. And maybe they're able to sort of like buy traffic and, and, and the unit economics work for them because they don't need to be sort of like chasing IDFAs. But I think it, it, you're still going to lose a lot of targeting precision, even if you're not hunting whales, right? Even if you're even if you have like a sort of like broadly appealing app. You're still gonna you're still gonna lose efficiency when the IDFA goes away and so then it'll resettle at a higher CPM but I think it'll still be lower you know I don't think we're going back to where we were right and it's just like a sort of reshuffling of the of the ecosystem mm. so my sense is that you know yeah there's a bit there's a big drop in CPMs people just pull back and then a lot of people just sort of like get blown out right like it's just no way to make the businesses work without like this all the sort of support that the IDFA provides and then a lot of people pile back in because CPMs are low and then the CPMs sort of like you know, settle at a new equi- equilibrium, but I, I still think that's like a lower level of like activity, right? In this kind of shortish, I'm talking about like through 2021. Now, Facebook, you know, th- these companies are, they have they employ, you know, armies of data scientists. They're going to figure this out and they're going to make contextual advertising work really well. And they're going to get signal from other places that they haven't needed to sort of mine for signal yet. Um, And and I think by 2022, you know, maybe everything's back to normal, but I, I don't think, over the course of 2021, that we're going to sort of like, you know, come to a, come to a realization that, yeah, there was a short-term pain, but like everything kind of went back to normal. And now it's just uh, some types of apps do better now than they, than they had before. And some types of apps do worse. I think it's overall like the sort of that app economy is going to shrink. Mm
0: -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay. So basically like 2021 is sort of like adjustment period where the CPMs are going up and down. And that's, that's a problematic thing because because without the tracking, like you can get a really high IPM, but you don't really know if that's if if those users are actually driving your LTV. Yeah, and that's well,
1: so, that, uh. so But that's why I don't. I, that's why I don't think these these price movements are going to be quick, right? I think there's going to be, a, or I I don't think that the, the sort of reversion is going to be quick. I think CPM is going to drop, and then the thing is you have to buy traffic. You have to wait. Mm-hmm. You need three months, like you need of of sort of like lowish scale buying to sort of build these new models, right? You're not going to just say, hey, IPM is actually high now. So let's bump the spend back up. And it's been yeah. three days,
0: right? Shit. Um, all right, uh, so let's talk about another thing. So I was reading your predictions and and Dan Dan wrote in, in your prediction. So Dan Barnes, COO at Network. Previously Machine Zone, Natural Emotions, Zynga. So knows a thing or two. <laughs> okay, so he <laughs> talked about the arms race for the ownership of conversion values. What does that mean? I, I read his I read his piece several times. He writes really well, and he's just so smart that I had to read it <laughs> multiple times. Maybe because I'm dumb, but <laughs> what is this arm race for ownership and, of conversion values?
1: Yeah, so um, so the the I, I guess this was deliberate on Apple's part, but um, kind of like an unfortunate design decision for SK Ad Network is that the conversion value. Um, when we, so you fire that conversion value with just this, this method, right? Update conversion value. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I don't want to go into the mechanics of the conversion value stuff. If people need sort of more detail on that, you know, I've written kind of extensively about how that works, but so you update the conversion value. And the thing is like, that gets, that just sort of like, is a state, It's it's like a new state parameter. Right. And then like that gets fired off after these timers expire. But anybody can fire that. Anybody can, can update that function. Anybody can up can, anybody can update the conversion value by, by, um, executing that method. Right. And when I say anybody, I mean any SDK on the, on the, in the app, right? So the, the app can do it sort of natively, um, or your MMP could do it or your MMP could do it via the SDK or Facebook could do it via the SDK, like any, any SDK could fire that. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a a race condition, right? Like there's, there's just anybody could fire this and you have no control over other people firing Mm -hmm. right now. Um, you know, but the thing is like, if, and and so these conversion values are mapped right to, to whatever you want to map them to. So some people are mapping them to events, specific events in the app. Some people are mapping them to predicted LTV values. Some people are mapping them to like player state or user state. Um, you know, there's a lot of design decisions that go into that, but the thing is like, if, a specific party would say, no, 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 you app, app advertiser, you must accommodate my mappings. Mm-hmm. You must, you must map these to the things that I tell you to map them to. Otherwise you can't use my service. And if they were powerful enough to do that, Facebook, right. Um, then they, they could actually like really impair other, you know, other sort of parties. Right. So let's say that in my, my assumption kind of going into this was Facebook was going to do that. They were going to say, you, you know, in, AEO campaigns. There was like 14 standardized events. I thought, you know, back, you know, prior to, you know, in in the current state of AEO, there's 14 standardized events. So if you're doing AEO campaigns, you have 14 events to pick from, and then you map those. You're supposed to map those to the actual, the, the sort of corresponding event in your app. But some people map them to just custom events. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they say here's the 14, here's the 14 events that you can optimize a campaign for, right? So that this this campaign will sort of ultimately kind of optimize for bringing traffic that, uh, that that executes these events. Well, I thought what they were going to do is they were going to expand that to take up, you know, almost all of the, almost all the conversion values, right? Almost all of the 64 and then say, look, no, you, you can only map these and you don't get to pick your own. Right. And then they have to be this, this mapping has to, has, to, has to be, um, th- these, these, these sort of conversion values have to map to these events and you have to use these, uh, six bit values. And so if they did that, they would kind of own, um, uh, they would own the, the sort of, uh, that sort of data collection mechanism, right? Because whenever they would see those events happen in an app, they would know that that thing happened and that they would know that at the very least, you know, cause Facebook's SDK is still going to mean these apps. They won't have access to the IDFA in a lot of cases, but it'll still see when these events are triggered. And so if Facebook said, no, you have to use the Facebook SDK to update the values, no matter where the, no matter where the traffic came from. Um, and you have to map them to the events that we say, then they would be getting a lot of data. Right. Um, you know, versus other parties. And so that that would be a pretty big advantage for them. Um, but actually, you know, think about it now, it wouldn't even really matter um how many events they took, even if it's just a standard 14, because depending on where they asked you to map those, if they asked you to map those to the to the largest events, mm-hmm. right? The the highest value events, then then those would be the ones that got fired, right? Because that's that's how that works. The conversion value is the highest sort of uh, it's the highest kind of observed conversion value gets fired in the postback. Or if it was the lowest, right, then then you would be disincentivized from putting your own events higher than that because you need to get the signal back to Facebook to optimize the campaign. So either way they did that. They could it, it would only need to be the 14 standard events. But anyway, so so whoever owns that process, if you say you have to use my SDK to map these events or to, to sort of update the conversion value and you have to map the events that I say to this library, mm-hmm. you'd have a massive advantage and, and you'd get a big you'd get a, a pretty big data advantage in doing that.
0: Got it, and and Facebook is definitely the one who's going to win on this arms race.
1: Well, no, they they haven't. So that's that was kind of like the idea that 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 will happen in twenty twenty one. I think was was Dan's point. Right now, I mean, no one's really kind of stepped forward to try to wrap their arms around that. Um, Facebook is has actually been surprising to me has said, yeah, we'll let you use the MMPs to do this. Hmm. so um the, facebook is even saying you don't have to use facebook you can do it with facebook or you can do it in just natively in the code or you can use your mmp they don't really care
0: hmm. all right okay well interesting uh so
1: but that's 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 short term i mean i think if there if there's, an op- if there's an opportunity for facebook to kind of you know claim that territory they
0: will you have to listen to this podcast they're like hey well, how come we're not owning this <laughs> so Um, (laughs) All right. So, so let's talk about, so one more point from, from the uh, prediction post you had um, Paula News, who's a product manager at Square Enix Montreal. She said that with iOS 14 coming in January, more than ever the product and user acquisition teams will need to be one and the same. Uh, And we kind of touched upon this in the last episode. So what are the sort of like a two to three things that this would lead to in practice with the product and user acquisition, or you hate the word user acquisition, product marketing teams becoming the same. What does it mean in in practice, in the uh, Um, the setting of an office, virtual or or, uh, physical?
1: I think, uh, yeah, I I think, well, a good place to start there is just our last um, episode. Mm -hmm. We talked about that kind of at length. And I think you had a lot of great, I mean, you had some amazing insights there too, from the product perspective. I think that's the smartest way to deal with this Yeah, uh, is, is, is by, you know, sort of is from a, is from a product uh, angle. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, you know, big. B- yeah. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. If I can like, like from my perspective in practice, here's what you do. First of all, product people need to understand the work of marketing teams. So, run a campaign like a lot of product managers have never run a campaign on Facebook, for example. It's not that big of a deal. You can do it in a in a single afternoon. But I think it just makes sense because when you were discussing about uh, details about nuances in, in acquisition or just getting a report, it's just helps to, to be in a position where you've actually seen what the software looks like. You know, you've done at least the minimal, so it's easier to go through those discussions, easier to understand what the marketing people are, are talking about. And through that, it bridges the uh, the, the gap. Basically, you understand what, what's going on. Uh, the second part uh, that I encourage the marketing people to do is to play the game. So if they don't play the game, then there's no trust they they will be simply asking about hey when is the new update coming what's in it and so forth and so forth on a very high level but if they haven't actually invested time and they haven't played it they can't show how far they've progressed and we're talking about campaign manager not the whole you know not the whole marketing team but they haven't if they haven't invested time into in, into the product it's really difficult to bridge the gap and if those two things are not happening so meaning product people don't understand the tools that the marketing people are using and the marketing people is not understanding the product because they haven't invested time, then that's the sort of foundation from where you're moving forward and, and building this un- unified team. You have to get those things first and then you can build upon on, on, on really unifying your processes. And when it comes to unifying the process, it's, it's a lot about discussion. So understanding what are those conversion triggers, what is the marketing team looking for, what are the sort of the signals, and then the product team can actually come up with solutions like we discussed in the last episode of maybe your game starts and you present three different tracks for, for players. So if you're a shooter player, you can say, you know, I'm a noob, I've never played before I've played before, or I played before this same franchise game. So I'm, so I'm really good at this. So that's, that's sort of a, um, uh, my, my view on this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's amazing insight, right? I think um, a lot of people are like intimidated by, you know, like, Oh, you know, doing all this ad, you know, running an ad campaign. I can never, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can never, kind of get familiar with that it would take months like it it, it, like you said you could do it in an hour like this like um had a good uh tweet about this the other day it's like you know if you're getting started if you're starting a gaming studio and you're freaking out about ua just do it yourself yes you can run facebook campaigns yourself and like i tell that to ceos all the time don't hire a ua person early they're going to be sitting around twiddling their thumbs and you're going to be paying them for doing nothing just learn how to use facebook it takes an hour like yes. Facebook has made it very, very easy to get started and spend money. Trust me.
0: <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's put it this way. It's going to take you an hour if you have somebody to walk you through the steps. If you don't have that somebody, then it's going to take you days. So, you know, when, when I did it the first time, it, I, I was just happy to have actually, yes, who, who runs Geek Lab, CEO Geek Lab, he helped me. To, to you know, understand what is pixel, where I need to put it and this and that and everything. So I was able to do it inside an hour with his help and then kind of continue running without his, without his help anymore and just you know, have him as a support. So if you have that sort of a marketing person, um, just use their help, uh, get started, understand what's going on. And after that, you're, you're at home with a campaign manager. And of course, that's just the first step doesn't make you uh, a UA lead or anything, but at least you're understanding it. And I, and I do agree. There's a lot of executives who um, who haven't done UA. And when they're thinking about UA, they definitely think first like, hey, you need to hire that UA head, that UA specialist, because it's this closed world that I don't understand anything about, but it's super important. So you need to make that hire right away because without it, you're dead. It's like, well, Mm, not, not really you definitely need that person but it's not the first thing you need so yeah
1: and i i just i i get worried when like a, a ceo is is saying like look i don't know anything about this world and i don't need to because i'll hire somebody it's like well actually you know your your your, your game is going to live or die by its ability to sort of be marketed right yeah. so you do kind of need to understand i mean not, not, you don't need to be a specialist right but you need to understand what the sort of like key source of revenue is you know if you if you kind of distill what you ate is down to like the most basic kind of force um that you know that it represents it's it's revenue it's, it's an influx of revenue it's just like arbitraged revenue right and so like you need to understand how that works yes. and i think it makes sense for you know a ceo to spend some time kind of learning that landscape at the very least and it you know yeah maybe okay maybe it's it, you need some help or whatever but you find it like you, you could you could find someone who, who can show you this stuff um anyway I, just, I think it's really important for like management teams to understand that and that you know of course that that doesn't scale and you've got to hire a team but like at the very least you should sort of fundamentally know how this is going to impact your games kind of revenue uh you know schedule and, and, and cash flows yeah. um so i think you know that's that that's a and that that's a really that's a really great insight like the product team should at least understand that too um, and the flip, the flip side of that is is equally important. It's like you know, I, I see so many teams where like they just they have no idea what's going on in the game, and not even from like a live ops standpoint, but just from like an economy design standpoint, they don't know how the game monetizes, yeah, um, at all. And, and and so like when subtle changes are made, and they're kind of blind to that, even if they get like an update from the PM team, it's like oh, we changed the onboarding flow, or we changed the. You know, we changed the their hit, the win ratio or whatever. And that just kind of doesn't mean anything to them. And they think it's just like, you know, that that's going to deeply impact the performance of the campaigns that are running right now. Right. So like these cohorts that are being acquired today, tomorrow. And, and, you know, if you don't really understand that and you can't really sort of like contextualize when you see the sort of performance metrics change, you know, because of the, the economy changing, um, it's going to be harder for you to do your job.
0: Yeah, and and the second part is like you're not just a a UA manager, you're a marketer. So how can you market a product that you don't understand and you're not excited about and you're not a fan of? That that is impossible. So because you can't get the nuances. Like if you truly play a game, then you understand that the product team is improving it. Now they're doing this, now they're adding that because it's important for the game. Something that the players have been asking for, most likely. It's something that drives the numbers. So there's a reason why this change is being made. And then you can actually advertise that to a certain audience that is you know, engaged audience and they want to know about this. So, so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's an important part. And by the way, when we are talking about executives not understanding sometimes uh, the UA, the reason for that is, is um, there are executives that are afraid to say that they don't know. And when they're afraid to say that they don't know something, they kind of, you know, go along and pretending that they're just leading and they have specialists around them that are going to tell them. But it, I think it's really important to just say like, hey, this is something that I don't understand. I need the basics. And it, you don't have to tell that to your team if you're not comfortable with. You can hire a consultant that could come in and explain to you like the one-on-one of user acquisition or one-on-one of whatever. And, and I think it's just, just it's, it's really important in life to, to just overall to, to admit that you don't know something because that allows you to learn instead of just pretending that, that you understand it on a strategic level.
1: Yeah. No, to, I mean, that's, that's such a good insight.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. And especially as a startup, as a startup, like as a startup, what's your excuse? I mean, I get it. If you know, I don't know, you're running take two or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, fine. <laughs> you, you probably don't know the details of UA, but, and you don't need to. Um, but if you're starting a gaming startup or you're starting any, even like just a, just a, a just consumer, like a mobile first consumer tech company,
0: yeah. you should
1: know, you should know that you should, you should understand at least the underlying mechanics. Yeah. Um, and some people just don't. And then, and then like you get caught like you get blindsided sometimes by like yeah we, we the economy broke or whatever and then the UA just tanked because it doesn't really work anymore no one really understands why across the product in the UA teams and then you know you're at the sort of management layer and you're like wow everything's on fire I don't even know where to start
0: yeah yeah and then then the, usually what they least to is like let's let's get a person who can fix this let's let's get a you know uh, a gal or a guy who takes the lead and charges and fixes one thing. They started looking for that person versus uh, versus the issue that actually caused this. And and uh, you know it is what it is. But let's talk about let's talk about just like the last thing is a lot of hot takes on on things. So first one is ad spend. Is it going to go up or down? I assume down, right? In twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, I think Q Q two it goes down significantly.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, And we, we touched upon this. So just because of the uh, the lack of visibility and an adjustment period, Um, how about Apple and and SK ad network? What, what happens with that? Like what's Apple and SK ad network in 2021? I don't think they make
1: any meaningful updates to it in 2021. Apple's pretty slow with this kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. If they, I think, I don't think they make any big updates in 2021. I think it looks exactly the same as it does now.
0: Got it. Um, And and with Apple, like, like, does the uh, App Store does it become more powerful in twenty twenty one?
1: Yeah, I, I probably. I think you know, it it people start. I think we go back to the the kind of dynamics of like going to you know making the pilgrimage to Cupertino or to London mm-hmm. uh, to beg for featuring and present you know oh we're doing this big update and we want to be there in person. I think well once travel you know starts up again, but I feel like we sort of move back into that kind of dynamic um which is i think what apple wants and so that that was probably a primary
0: motivation of this whole thing mm, pre-2017
1: you know you, you remember those
0: times when you you'd fly to cupertino and I you love it i love it i've been been to there been to uh to japan been to tokyo and <laughs> and then <laughs> those are you know fun travel fun fun stuff they're they're actually pretty cool cool people and and they do like games so it's it's fun to talk with them and and fun to present it but it's sad that it wasn't just important so we didn't do it after 17 it just like more like meeting them for for dinner and stuff stuff like that but now that it becomes more important you're you definitely will be engaging with apple way more and that's good um so how about how about facebook what happens to facebook in 2021
1: um i
0: think facebook's
1: gonna have a <laughs> they, they're gonna have to to to, to figure this out I, I i don't i don't think facebook's revenue is gonna like collapse right i mean I, I think i've seen some predictions that were pretty extreme i think but i think they're going to take a, a reasonable hit uh, there was a report going around yesterday that kind of estimated the revenue impact at like three percent i think that's probably too optimistic i think it's more like seven percent or five to seven percent um, mm-hmm. maybe even up to like 10-ish so like th- there's this is kind of there's you know like I was, I was saying there's like a there's a you know an extreme pullback and then there's kind of like you know um a re-normal there's like a normalization period. And there's like a finding that new equilibrium. So I think, you know, at the worst, you know, we could be talking like seven to 10% and then it just gets, it gets better and better. Right. But I think Facebook is, is, I think they're, they're pretty panicked about this. I mean, I think if, if you look at, you know, the kind of the, the sort of PR campaign that they've launched and taken out these full page ads and, and, you know, the national newspapers, that's a, that's an extreme, that's an extreme reaction. Right. So they're, they're not, uh, they're not, they're not very calm. Right. And if that's the case, it's probably because they, they think this is going to be pretty
0: bad for their for their business. Yeah. even even I mean, even a few percentages is, is a lot of money with, with Facebook scale. So makes makes total sense. How about um, how about Google and Android? What happens to them in 2021? They're they're not jumping on this um, idea this deprecation stuff right away.
1: No, and I don't. I don't think. I don't think they will. I think they'll do something in 2021 along this along these lines, but I don't think it'll be nearly as extreme. I think it'll be pretty. It'll be a pretty light touch, and I don't think it'll actually disrupt the Android advertising ecosystem. I think maybe Android becomes a new battleground. Right. I mean, maybe people just shift their spend to high-end Android, um, and that becomes like the new. Uh, you know, sort of kingmaker, uh, you know, sort of segment, just because, you know, it, it, it's people are going to be discouraged from trying to compete for they like, I think if you think about all the all the, the sort of like high monetization titles right now on mobile, that are so dependent on the kind of IDFA infrastructure, just just really sort of like fundamentally dependent on that. Um, you know, they're just going to shift budget to Android, because that's where they're going to be able to compete. Yeah. And so you might see like a total blowout of CPMs there.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes total sense. Uh, how about, uh, how about mobile attribution partners? And there's been a lot of, a lot of written and of course they've been on the forefront of predicting what this means and how they're going to tackle, tackle these issues, uh, with IDFA deprecating because that has huge effect on their business model.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've been at the forefront of publishing content marketing.
0: <laughs> I don't know
1: they've been on the forefront of predicting the reality. Um, I think they've been doing a lot of wishful thinking publicly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, that it just feels to me like that space has got to shrink. I, I, I did a podcast uh, with a guy named Grant Harbin mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago who runs an agency. And, you know, he, he's more optimistic about them than I am. I feel like there's just not room for all these companies when their primary, you know, sort of use case is just managing conversion values and being like a data partner. Um, first of all, that's just not worth as much. And second, you know, there's just, there's not the need, the, the market can't really sustain a bunch of bigger ones. Um, I feel like you know they've got a lot of legacy business and enterprise business that that's just not going to renegotiate contracts very quickly, and so I don't think it's going to be like an immediate impact there. But um, you know, I feel like that market just just it just it shrinks. It and and you know, there's there's those companies are going to look very different, right, in like 2022 than they look now. Um, they're going to be more of like a, a data platform than a you know sort of ad tech company. Um, And they're just going to be doing things that are kind of like lower value, um, you know, and so maybe those companies aren't as big as they are now, and maybe there's not as many of
0: them. Mm. That's interesting. So they're becoming more of a data partners. Is there a possibility that there's that they're going to acquire some of the existing data partners that is going to be consolidation in the uh, not even the mobile attribution partners, but just with data partners overall?
1: It could be. I think th- those companies are pretty conservative, right? I don't think they make big acquisitions. They're not like product driven companies. They're not driven by product leadership, mm-hmm. right? And so I don't think, and that's kind of true of ad tech. That's true of ad tech broadly, but I don't think, like, I don't, I can't see like an MMP taking like a really innovative, you know, path here. I feel like, uh they just kind of are always adapting to like the path the newest path of least resistance and so i think there probably will be a lot of consolidation in these types of companies that you know were had like sort of data products um but i don't know that that's going to be led by mmp's i think that's going to be led by bigger companies aggregating these these like much bigger companies and mmp's aggregating this kind of functionality up
0: let's talk about ad monetization so cpms you predict that they go down well that means ad monetization goes down right
1: Yeah, there were a couple, you know, people in the prediction post that that kind of predicted like a sort of reckoning for the hyper casual. I feel like that was kind of overdue. And but I think this is, yeah, it's going to happen in 2021. I I just I don't think the hyper casual space is going to be as big as it it has been.
0: And now, like, I mean, the hyper casual actually grew significantly during the twenty nine, twenty twenty. I thought that these type of light games would be the ones that suffer the most. Uh, versus the sort of a deeper strategy games that would be, you know, the biggest winners because people just engage their social and they require long sessions. I thought those would be the winners of 2020, but hyper casual was, wasn't Like Voodoo got 500 million more installs in, in 2020 than it did in 2019. And, and in 2019 it did o- almost a billion. So, so it's uh it's pretty crazy how True. much the, the market has been growing. Like, It's just insane. And then when you know, we, we have some formulas, how we calculate their revenues. And we're talking about like with Voodoo, even like, this is just a prediction based on my, my formulas that, that I have. It's like 1.5 billion in revenues in 2020. So I think wow. even like as the market shrinks, they've made so much headway during the 2020 that I think they're going to be sort of a leaders in consolidation as well. And, you know, I'm just saying Voodoo, but there, there are others, you know, the Supersonics, the Apple ovens, and of course Apple, up uh, is is already a big consolidator, but but I think there's going to be a, a lot of movement from hyper casual to other genres, rather the other way around. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I would imagine yeah. that Voodoo is probably well positioned, but you know, like there's a lot of hyper there are a lot of hyper casual companies, right? And I just feel like that sort of second second tier maybe just is gonna is gonna face some some pretty significant headwinds here um, that maybe like sort of shrinks that
0: market. What happens with creatives? So there's a lot of talk of, of creatives because of the limitations in, in the campaigns, because of limitations in, in, well, in tracking basically what type of players you're getting through these campaigns. Of course, you can still run them on, on Google and you'll be able to see how well they perform, uh, not in terms of IPM or CPI, but just overall in terms of how LTV effect. But another another element of the creatives that has been, Uh, discussed is that they're not going to be, you know, um, misleading anymore, uh, that they're going to be more of a quality focused, more player focused. Is that sort of a thing you're seeing in 2021? Yeah, I think so. Because basically, we just go
1: back to like the 2015 era,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
1: Like before, you know, VO, before AEO, before all this stuff was able to be optimized around monetization and and with this like mass kind of experimentation engine that that Facebook brought to market. So yeah, you're not going to be able to Experiment with two hundred creatives a week, right? It just won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to kind of make some guesses about what you know, what you think is gonna best serve you and best reach, you know, your sort of like core audience. And I think that that function is gonna be more important, right? Because like now, you know, like the like the fake ads thing, right? Like you don't need the creative lead to come up with those ideas. You just need to like throw random stuff at the wall and see what sticks, right? But I think you're gonna need real creative leadership going forward that that actually brings some insight to that process. Um, which you kind of don't need right now. You just need like a production manager who's capable of spinning up an organization that can, you know, churn out a mass volume of, of ad variants. And, you know, kind of this, this next paradigm will be like very much the opposite. You're going to need someone who really is like a creative visionary who can actually think through, like, like you said, you know, this, this is, this is, you know, this is a marketing function. It's not just um, you know the deployment of of a, of a massive volume of, of of assets to see which ones work, and that's going to be even more true kind of post IDFA. Um, so I I feel like that kind of creative lead, that marketing creative lead, is going to become a really important
0: part of uh, of you know the game game studio leadership. And then when we're talking about the improving the creatives, the um the quality of the creatives, and and that means you need to understand your audience better. So do you feel that? that these platforms like 12 Trades and other audience research platforms, as well as focus groups, as soon as we're able to do, you know, face-to-face stuff, maybe towards end of the year, that will, do, will the, the role of um, consumer research or player research or user research, will that increase in 2021? It could. I've never been super hot on focus groups because I just
1: feel like, you know, that's a very limited sample size yeah. relative to what you can get with just running ads. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like as uh, to whatever extent you can kind of shortcut that process of just experimenting on a bunch of different interest groups and demo groups with, you know, a company that provides that kind of research and insight. Yeah. That probably, that probably becomes more important now. Right. Because again, like that, just that mass experimentation engine is gone. So you can't, you can't offload that to Facebook anymore. It's not going to work. So now you have to do it yourself and it's time consuming and expensive to do it yourself. So if you can, you know, find a service that, um, can help you sort of you know, jump to that, you know, understanding without having to spend a ton of money, that's going to be helpful.
0: Yeah. And especially with, with all the social distancing, like you can't, like you cannot do focus groups. So, so these platforms that provide the, the services and, and at a scale, especially where, where you're not, you know, meeting with, with, 50 people from Austin or Houston or wherever we used to do the, the tests with it's usually Houston. Uh, it's, it's um, it, it's different because now you're getting the whole platform. You're actually looking at the data from thousands of people that are playing different type of games and aggregating through that, or it's yeah. already aggregated rather than looking at videos where players are, yeah, they're, they're kind of weird. Like some focus groups are weird, but sometimes when it works really well, you get some good insights. Anyway, last thing, app store testing you know, services like Geek Lab, uh, StormAven. Is that going to be now something bigger because, because of the IDFA deprecation? Huh, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. I
1: mean, I think most people do that on Google anyway. You know, I think that's like the scaled approach. Uh, so it, maybe that just doesn't change. I, I don't i don't want really to see that being super impacted by the IDFA I mean, I, I could be missing something completely here but that doesn't seem like the IDfa is is so ingrained in in the way
0: that works got it got it so basically just just putting in like like creating those app, fake app store pages that's that's what I meant and with with the limitations it's like it allows you to test before you launch the campaigns at a smaller scale but understand so still continuing at the same level probably all right all right so that's that's the uh, the, the whole shebang
1: well, hey Miska, I wish you a new year. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I wish happy. you
0: a great new year. I wish you uh, a good flight back to the the place where you don't have to wear pants, uh, aka Austin, where it's always <laughs> hot and the cars are big. <laughs> so, so um, That's right. yeah. So hope you have a a good start and where the uh, internet quality is far better and the microphones are bigger. So we'll continue this <laughs> as you as you as you get back to us. That's definitely true. We'll
1: uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time on the big mic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Safe travels. Thank you for listening through the whole episode. For more growth content, please check out previous episodes on Deconstructor of Fun Podcast and do visit the Mobile Dev Memo website as well as the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. For more growth topics, please do connect with myself or Eric Sufer directly through LinkedIn or Twitter. And for discussion about what we talked about on this podcast, please join the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group. The application can be found on deconstructor.com website. And last, but definitely not least, huge thanks to our sponsors, IronSource and AppsFlyer. Catch you guys on the next episode.
1: Bye.